Welcome to the Untold Hour. It's Jess and Aristotle. This is going to be, uh, I'm giving you the heads up right now, this is going to be my last episode before I hit the road again for our second pod shoot for um, Expedition X. So, uh, so I'll miss you guys. I probably, I'll be back in September, sometime in September. I'm not sure the specific date yet, but that is the goal. And so that's when we shall be back on track. However, in the meantime, um, I did do some research for you. I thought we could do the uh, Green Children of Woolpit. Have you heard of this, Ooh, these no. children? So it's actually a fairly, like if you're into this stuff, it's fairly well known. I've always been very curious about their particular story. Uh, Aaron Mankey's podcast, Lore, I believe may have covered this. Uh, I can't remember which episode, but if you can find it, I highly recommend listening to it as well as all of his other stuff because he's a very good researcher and I really enjoy his work. Um, but I have known about this for quite a while. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't want to get into to, into it too much, though, because we do have a Weird of the Week, and we have some Crowbot's Backyard updates, so really quick, Weird of the Week. Weird of the Week. Virgin Galactic founder and founder of one of my favorite airlines, Virgin America, RIP Virgin America, you were amazing while you lasted. Wait, they're gone? I I actually did not know that. <laughs> Yeah, I think they got bought out, right? It's, I mean, Virgin is still around, but Virgin America, I think, uh, is has been sold and absorbed into, uh, into, who bought them? I want to say, oh gosh, you know, I travel too much when I remember all these, all these also, airplane news. This immediate tangent. It just, uh-huh. yeah. Alaska, Alaska, I believe, is uh, the one that bought them out. Yep, I'm right. Virgin America was sold by Alaska back in 2016, and they were my favorite. I absolutely adored them. Um, but uh, needless to say, uh, Sir Richard Branson, who is the founder, uh, did successfully flo- fly in space along with five other people on his rocket-equipped winged plane. The flight did make it about 50 miles above Earth's atmosphere, I believe. And uh, yeah, so Space Emperor race is on. I I have a theory that all these billionaires are trying to get into space on their own as fast as possible because they know that our resources on Earth are quickly being depleted and um, quickly this planet will become unlivable. And in the meantime, uh, whoever makes an established established foundation up in space that then the government will have to buy from them uh, will be even more rich and basically space emperor but that's a whole separate conversation they're using up the last of the resources to get (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes exactly i mean that yeah they're using our researches resources to get up there speaking of resources this was my last news article but i think we're going to move it up to number two since it makes a better transition a wobble within the moon's orbit could lead to more flooding on Earth by 2030. So 600 nuisance floods, and that's usually uh, what that's what they're called, and they're usually non-deadly floods. However, they have a tendency to stick around for a long time, and so that's how they create more property damage. 
600 nuisance floods have already occurred in the U.S. in 2019, but scientists are predicting an upswing in the number of flooding occurrences due to a wobble within the moon's orbit, as well as rising sea levels due to climate change and other factors. We actually are currently within one of these moon wobbly tide amplifying cycles right now, and the next one is predicted to occur in the 20s, 2030s. And by then, the reason the scientists are extra concerned is that the sea levels will have risen enough to, when combined with all of this other stuff, cause more severe and prolonged flooding along coastal area, areas, which will pile atop of one another in short periods of time versus being spread out, thus leading to more severe damage and upsets within residents' routines. So there's that good news. I'm realizing quickly that all of my, <laughs> my news is really awful, um, per usual. Uh, and then last but not least, the Flat Earth Shop out in Scotland mysteriously closed its doors without any notification whatsoever, uh, whereas just two weeks ago it was business as usual. So the Flat Earth Shop is exactly what you think it is. It is a headquarters for the Flat Earth Movement, and it has mysteriously and inexplicably shut its own doors. Originally meant to be a bit of a pop-up shop just to uh, help, you know, lead the curious into finding more information on the flat earth theory. Uh, when it first opened back up, or sorry, when it first opened up in February of 2018, the strange shop stayed in business actually for over three years teaching any and all that may be interested about how they believed that the earth was flat. Neighbors, you would think would be like eye rolling and oh, good riddance, but they're not. They're actually pretty sad to see the shop go. They said that it was kind of a fun thing to have in the neighborhood. It was often very busy uh, and the people there were nice. However, they did seem surprised that it lasted as long as it did in the first place because that area, in that area, the rent is not cheap and they always wondered who was paying for this out of pocket. Um, nobody knows who, I'm sure someone knows, uh, but uh, none of the people that was spoken to in this particular article that I got over coast to coast. And uh, yeah, so it's a mystery. It's a mystery and the flat earth shop unfortunately is now gone. So if you had that on your bucket list, you're not going to be able to cross that off. <laughs> Do you know, was it, wait, was it <clears throat> genuine, like, we're going to try and convince people? Or is it like a kind of tongue-in-cheek, like the uh, the time travel mart in Echo Park? Yeah, I think it's like 50-50. From what I've read, you know, obviously I've never been there, so I can't say for sure. But what I read about it is it did have legit pamphlets trying to kind of educate people on the theory behind the flat earth uh, hypothesis, but uh, I, but by judging from the neighbors saying, oh, it was actually really fun to have it there, my guess is it was probably split down the middle. All right, guys, so that's my personal picks for Weird of the Week, but I have been checking the Discord to see what you guys have been sending me, and there's been a couple really good ones, so I wanted to uh, give them a bit of a shout out. Lawyer's pants catch on fire during a Florida arson trial. Uh, Gutierrez, a 28, was in the Miami-Dade County courtroom defending 49-year-old Claudie Charles, who was accused of setting his car on fire. But then during his closing argument, Gutierrez began to feel heat coming from his pocket where he had several electric cigarette batteries. Uh, he ended up telling NBC News in an email. Um, and he uh, basically spontaneously combusted. So I think he is okay. Uh, he was rushed out of the courtroom while smoke billowed out of his pocket. Uh, he said the heat intensified. He hurried into the bathroom where he tossed the batteries into some water, which I don't think you're supposed to do, actually. 
because these are, gosh, if those are the kind of batteries that just uh, explode in your pocket like that, I believe they're like, what, vape batteries, right? So that would be... Um, the only thing that's coming to mind is uh, lithium, but it was like... Lithium, what? yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I was looking for, yes. I believe that they're, uh, it's, yes, electronic cigarette batteries exploding have been documented around the country. So it is an e-cigarette that he was um, smoking or had in his pocket. Uh, I believe that actually happened to somebody I had worked with once where they had it in their pocket and it leaked and exploded and gave them like really bad burns on their legs as well. Uh, I think it's the, yeah, these batteries are a problem. Definitely in these vapes and these e-cigs, uh, this lawyer had it and just ironically, they all started to catch on fire while he was in the mid middle of trying to defend an arsonist who said that his car spontaneously combusted. <laughs> I just wonder, like, how did nobody laugh? Like, obviously, if he had gotten seriously hurt, it wouldn't have been funny. But as the judge, like, how did you, how could you, how would you possibly be able to keep a straight face during this kind of irony? Yeah. Like, you know, you have to be trained and professional, but in the, like, there's no way someone in that room wasn't like, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like how, it'd be impossible. I mean, that's the first thing that I would have thought of and just been like, are you kidding me right now? Uh, anyway, that was from, uh, and I'm sorry if I butcher the name, but Mi Michaelis Gudako uh, sent this into our Weird of the Week section of Discord. Uh, he actually sends quite a lot of really, really good ones. He or she, I um, actually can't tell. So he or she, like, I mean, just so many, they do a great job. Radioactive hybrid terror pigs have made themselves a home. Uh, oh my gosh, what is this? Okay, so this one is radioactive hybrid terror pigs have made themselves a home in Fukushima's exclusion zone. Uh, so human resettlement in 2011's nuclear disaster is facing opposition from indestructible betusked interlopers. Uh, says here the local wild boar, which is a subspecies endemic to the region known as the Japanese boar, uh, has created a fiefdom covering the locale that was vacated by over 160,000 displaced humans and because of that has become cocky, aggressive, and have lost their natural wariness. So are basically just running the show over there. And apparently they've also started inbreeding with left behind domesticated pigs, which um, I don't know what that necessarily will equate to, but they're dangerous stay away stay away uh so yeah our situation so, well so i guess people that are actually trying to reclaim their former houses and settlements and going back to the area and seeing if they can't start living there again are having a really hard times with like a hard time with these things because they just don't give a fuck like they're they are there and they mean business and they don't want any people back and they're not scared of them at all. So the Fukushima exclusion zones have actually gradually been lifted in stages, which is allowing people to kind of come back in. I believe there is a um, documentary on Netflix, maybe. Let me see if I can find it. But I watched one which was all about people um, starting their life there again. And uh, it was very intriguing. Did This is just a, a weird random question, but do they mention at all sunflowers? Because I've heard about sunflowers being used to like- Oh, to, to absorb the, um, yeah, let me check. Uh, so the Fukushima, the Fukushima Zone documentary 
There's one on National Geographic. Uh, there is a, apparently an episode of Dark Tourist. I feel like neither of those were the ones that I watched. So in regards to the sunflowers, it says that after Hiroshima, Fukushima, and Chernobyl nuclear disasters, fields of sunflowers were planted across the affected landscapes to help absorb toxic metals and radiation from the soil. Um, so yeah, it looks like they might have been used for that and will probably be continue, continue to be used because it's proving supposedly to be, it's proving to be uh, pretty effective, it sounds like. Heck. Yes. On top of the fact that I think it's beautiful and it's hopeful and it's probably helpful for people on an emotional level as well. Oh, yeah. I I grew sunflowers and I love them. Only one of them was a giant. Uh, and then I took the seeds and tried to start again. And so far, nothing. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, I am a big fan of sunflowers, too, although I've never tried to grow them. They're, it was actually super – I bought them from the store, and they're, like, super easy, and uh, they they help soil and help clean up soil and whatnot. So yeah. In a, yeah. That's all. That's for, that's for another time. <laughs> well, that's that's, uh, that's – I'm very curious about that. But, um, yeah, I know. I just always have dug sunflowers. I used to not like them. I shouldn't say not like them. Like, who doesn't like sunflowers? But they used to not be one of my favorite flowers for a very long time, particularly when I was growing up. And then all of a sudden, one day, I was just like, these things are lovely. And now I'm kind of obsessed with them. I don't know why. So interesting how tastes change yeah. randomly as you get older. Yeah, I was, uh, I was just thinking the other day how much I... It's strange how much I enjoy growing flowers now because uh, bad, uh, bad boyfriend alert. But I like I was so against buying flowers like I was like, I'd rather buy a plant. I'm not going to get I would have give you flowers because they're just going to die. I'll get you a plant. You can grow the plant. And now, shit, I love growing flowers. Yeah, but also the plant, you're just giving more work to that person. So unless they're really into plants, then you're just like, here. Here's a present of work. <laughs> and then if it dies, you've failed. <laughs> or at least that's how I feel every time I buy a plant and inevitably kill it because I just am off. I have a terrible, terrible green thumb. Like it just doesn't exist. I am not one of those children. I am not turning green any part of me at any point in time. Like there's no, there's none of that happening at this house. Like I can't keep anything alive that is a plant-based uh, uh, plant. What other kind of plant-based plant would there be? But plants, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, one thing I am doing properly though, is feeding those crows. My crows, my crow bros, it's on. So here's an update. If you follow my Instagram, I'm sure you already know this already. So if you're bored, go ahead and skip get, uh, all the way to the end. But um, so I've been feeding the crows. I'm getting a little sad because I'm going to have to hit the road again soon. I feel like I've made so much headway and I'm just going to end up having to throw it all out the window once I leave. But hopefully they remember me because that's the whole point of this. They're supposed to be smart. So it's a mom, like I said before, and her three, uh, younglings, um, they're still hanging around with her and they're, um, at this point, anytime they come to the, they come to my porch so I got to kind of describe the lawn to you. So there's a porch right off the back door. <clears throat> and then after the porch, we actually have a fair amount of uh, yard. 
So if I'm on the porch and they don't want to be too close for most of the time, they would either stand at the back of the yard on the fence, which is a decent distance away, or they will uh, fly on top of one of the power lines and hang out there until I go back inside. And now what they've been doing is they'll actually fly onto the deck and hang out on the deck and scream for me until I come outside and then they fly to the grass and I throw them the food and then they're happy. But the other thing that happens too, that's really cool is before when I used to go out and try and feed them food, I would always kind of have to call for them. They're now calling for me. And then when they see me, they go berserk, like utterly berserk. Like anybody else that steps out of the house, they stay quiet. And then the minute I come out of the house, they all start, you know, crowing at me. <laughs> and then what ended up happening was we ended up getting two hawks that want in on the action now. So I don't know if you remember from last week, I told you how the crow and the hawks were kind of fighting with these two other birds that were big dicks out in the front yard who were like just trying to be jerks and protect the area, even though they wanted all of the area and not just the front yard. Well, now the hawks came in and it's not just one hawk like I thought it was, it's two hawks and they are just like on full alert at all times. So it is a friggin' like, like bird sanctuary happening in my backyard right now. It's like bush gardens from, <laughs> from back in the day. The only thing to make it weirder is if all of a sudden all of the wild, um, uh, wild, not canaries, wild um, green parrots that fly around here start descending in my yeah. backyard and squawking <laughs> up a storm. Although I hope they don't because they're way too loud and they're, they're, they're very crazy. Loud. And Do you get them by you at all? Yeah, I'm closer to Pasadena and that's where they're like really, uh, that's where they're really central. They're all the time around, uh, but also very close to a lot of peacocks. So those are cool. Did you guys have a couple peacocks? Oh wait, like close to peacocks, as in like they're like peacocks, or do you no, mean like, I like there are actual peacocks? They're mostly in Arcadia. You know, yeah. Okay. Area, Arcadia, and then they still come to Pasadena and or just surrounding areas. But it's it can be it's not a far drive to go look at some actual massive peacocks. Yeah. No, I've been I've been to that um, oh botanical gardens that has them wandering around so yeah i've seen them those things are cool anyway so that is my uh uh crow bro challenge update crowbots backyard we've been getting the crows in now we have some eagles in uh it's uh it's it's getting crazy i i i just i wish I just wish they would like hang out by me if i could just get them to kind of not fly away and just hang out by me then I'd feel like I'm making a big push in the right direction. But hey, you know what? Baby steps. We can't force this to happen. We gotta, we gotta massage this thing. We gotta make them feel safe. But so far, so good. Except now I have to leave again. So yeah, moving into the green children of Woolpit. Uh, yeah, this, I think, I feel like this, this particular podcast is going to be a little fast today. I feel like, um, I, there's not a lot of information to be found on the green children of Woolpit, unless you want to dedicate some serious time to researching this. Like, 
so much so that you're like library research. Like you can't just stop at the internet. This is a library one, I feel like. Um, the internet itself, it was, it was weird. It's like the first couple of searches I did, I kept getting sent to these extremely odd, very bloggy-esque quote unquote websites, which frightened me to even click on in the first place because God only knows what I would maybe attack to my computer. However, um, you you know, there's some basic stuff. So I had to kind of go back to the basic stuff, uh, which was like wiki articles and things of that nature. And the problem with a lot of these stories is that a lot of them reference and feed into each other. So it's hard to actually glean what information might be true versus what is just random hypotheses or just regurgitated information without ever knowing what the actual source is. Um, Wiki, again, per usual, does a pretty good job of this, but even there, it's, it tells you mostly about everybody else's theories and, and doesn't really um, branch off into anything new, which, you know, I guess you could say then lends itself into maybe there's not much to this sort of story, or maybe there is. Maybe it was just too long ago. So sometime back within the 12th century, two green tinted children, a boy and a girl who were uh, brother and sister, suddenly appeared in the village of Woolpit within Suffolk, Suffolk England. Um, locals said that they spoke an unknown language. They wouldn't eat anything. They actually spent a lot of days refusing food until they found some raw broad beans and then they ate those and were like thrilled to have them. Over time, they did learn to eat additional foods and after a while, eating those foods did get rid of their green color and they went back to quote unquote, like a healthy, you know, uh, healthy appearance. The villagers took them in and had them baptized, but the boy who was sickly right after he was baptized ended up dying. I couldn't find anywhere that said what he actually died of. Everybody just refers to him as sickly. Uh, the girl continued to grow into adulthood. She learned English and by all accounts lived a quote unquote normal life although it was mentioned that she was considered rather wanton and, uh, and uh, sassy in how she conducted herself. You know, those sassy girls speaking their minds. But, uh, but yeah, she did actually live into adulthood and she spoke English and she was able to communicate with the villagers once she did learn English. And this is kind of the story uh, that she told the villagers. Um, so during the reign of King Stephen, which was 1135 to 1154, during harvest time, the villagers of Woolpit came across two children, the brother and sister, sitting besides a wolf pit. And a wolf pit were deep trapping pits built into the ground and made with stone in order to trap and catch an animal. And it's what Woolpit was essentially named after. So they were found next to one. The children's skin was green and they spoke a very unfamiliar and unrecognized language and their clothing was odd and uncustomary for others who lived in the village or nearby. They were then supposedly taken to the home of a Richard de Calm, uh, supposedly some places refer to him as a 12th century English squire. Some people say he was a knight. Uh, they stayed there for um, several weeks and then I think she either, I could, this was hard to make out, the girl either left and then came back and worked for him or always lived with him. It's hard to say, and we'll, I'll bring that up later and I'll point out why. Uh, from the beginning, like I said before, the children refused food for quite some time until they recognized raw broad beans 
then they ate a ton of those. And then with the introduction of those beans, the children eventually became more accustomed uh, trying out other local foods and ate the local food, uh, which then caused their green color to disappear over time. At some point, it isn't said when, the villagers decide to baptize the children. I also couldn't find out how old the children were at any of this given time. Um, some places make it sound like they're extremely young, like five or six, some like a little older, eight or 10. Uh, but at some point the villagers baptized the children. The boy who was believed to be the youngest actually became sick and died shortly after his baptism. However, the girl continued to grow and adapt to her new home and included speaking English. And then once she had a grasp on the language, she was actually able to tell the villagers that her and her brother came from a subterranean land where the sun never showed and what light there was, was like twilight. Their homeland was known as St. Martinland and everything and everyone there was as green as they had originally been. She said they couldn't remember how they had gotten to the village. All that they remembered was that they were herding their father's sheep where that when they heard a loud sound and they found themselves by the wolf pit where they had been found. Uh, I actually did some searches for St. Martin. Uh, there's a lot of St. Martins and St. Martin land thus out there. So who knows which one the children's homeland may have been named after or referring to, although some historians did, do have a hypothesis of where. Um, and I've also read other reports and other stories where the children, the story goes, the children were actually out herding the cattle or the sheep and they found a cave and walked through it. Only they, after they had walked a certain amount of distance, they found an exit at the opposite end of the cave and when they exited, they were in England and could no longer return back to their homeland and couldn't find it. Which then to me sounds of the stories you hear oftentimes of the Fae or the fairies. Um, and this kind of, to me at least, aligns with the belief, uh, but uh, kind of reversed on its head where the Fae will often quote unquote, quote unquote, steal or replace human children with children from fairyland with actual fey children and uh but usually it's the human child that gets kidnapped and replaced not that the uh, fairy children accidentally found their way and got stuck in the human land does that make sense yeah they they like accidentally went through the work door yeah they yes they went through yes <laughs> they went through their version of um of the the wardrobe to Narnia, except it just ended up on Earth, and that you know, <laughs> you know, take that how you how, how you want. Um, so uh, then, supposedly, after all, uh, telling everybody this, the girl uh, grew up in the village, um, and uh, she remained. Now, this is where I was like, I can't tell if she grew up in the house and was just forced to work for her keep there or if she had left the house at one point and worked at the house later but uh some say that she grew up she remained at richard de Calm's house as a servant although like i said before she was said to be impudent uh based on de Calm's family history there is a sci-fi writer by the name of duncan lunin who surmised that the girl was given the name Agnes and that she married a royal official named Richard Barr. 
Um, however, Duncan Lunan, let it be taken with a grain of salt. If you want to go look up his bio, uh, by all means do so. He sounds like a very talented writer. However, um, he also theorized that the children had actually been transmitted to Earth after their matter transmitter went on the fritz. I don't know where he got that from. I mean, but he was the first person to potentially propose that uh, these children might actually be aliens. And um, given my my current job <laughs> situation and description, who am I to thumb my nose at that theory? <laughs> but uh, But I feel like, I got to go with the historians on this one, not necessarily um, Duncan's uh, um, aliens theory. Um, other people did say that she married a man from King's Lion, which was a town about <clears throat> 40 miles away from the village and just grew up a, a, like a nor had a normal life from that point on. Most, folklore most folklorists and historians think that the story of the green children is one of two possible things. It's either one straight out, it's just a folk tale. Two, and I kind of lean towards this and the, the reason why based off of historians theories. Two, that it was a real event that was passed down via a retelling from person to person. Some theories uh, are that it's a fanciful story used to describe the real events of a kidnapping or running away. Historians, and this is the one that I kind of lean more into, believe it could be a story woven around a real event having to do with Flemish immigrants within the area. The Flemish actually started coming to Eastern England around the 12th century and were persecuted after Henry II became king. And some believe that the children's parents, these two particular children's parents had been killed during civil strife and that the children wandered from the village of Fornham St. Martin, which is close to a Flemish settlement and that the children's green color could be the result of a dietary deficiency. And I specifically, now this is why I think the story of the green children is based on a real event. I do think the children were probably suffering from a dietary deficiency. And that is actually the one thing to me that speaks the most truth, which is why I think this is an actual event that occurred. And my only reason for this is, Growing up, my young, I have a brother and my brother, he used to eat so many carrots that he actually started to turn orange. <laughs> and so I've seen this happen where certain restrict dietary restrictions or overeating of other fruits will or vegetables will actually cause your chin or your skin to change color. And so to me, reading all of these theories, that just seems the most it's such an oddly specific nuance to add into a folk tale. Like, oh, after they started eating more food, their skin returned to normal. Like, oh, okay. Well, why would you, why would you, like, why would that be a detail you would want to add if you were coming up with some sort of fairy tale? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a fairy tale is a fairy tale. You would want it to be as sensational as it can be. And then they grew up green or they, they disappeared again. Yeah, or something like that. It's like the princess and the pea, you know? Like, like there's no way this girl can actually feel a pea underneath 50,000 down comforters or however many she had. <laughs> like, you know, the, the exaggeration in all of these is so prominent that to have such a subtle, factual, like little bit of info 
in this to me says, oh, well, this is, this, this is legit. Like, this is a legit story. Like, do I think they actually came from fairyland? No, not necessarily. But do I think two children who were a green color stumbled upon this village and couldn't remember where they were and didn't speak the language? Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's it uh, it would be helpful to know uh, the hue of green, I guess. Because yeah. you say green children and you think like... Like bright green bright. or are we talking yeah. tinted? Yeah. Like, there's also like, I know that... Uh, it's the, there are pit bulls that are quote unquote blue. Their color is blue. But when mm, I saw mm -hmm. it, I was like, this is kind of gray. You're just saying, blue. I get why you're saying blue, but it's gray. And I think that that could be what we're looking at too, where it's like your, your skin is tinted green. You're not like a hard green. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it was like hardcore green, then I'd be like, what? <laughs> But if these are just, you know, kids whose skin it has like a bit of a underlying tint to it, then yeah, this seems like it could be a legit, like an actual legit story. Yeah, this just feels like a real story. It's One thing that does counter historians' theories on this is that uh, Richard DeCalne, who the children ended up staying with and potentially working for, was a very educated man. And he would have recognized Flemish as the language spoken. So the fact that they were speaking this strange language and there were all of these Flemish immigrants within the area, one would think that you would have been able to know, you know, that the, that the language that is being spoken would be Flemish. But then that's where the problem of what age were they kind of comes into play again, because if they were really young, let's say five or six, or, or actually six, probably not so much, but four or five, um, you know, they, they would, like, it's hard to understand kids speak sometimes. Bad, bad Flemish still. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, or who knows when these kids' parents have died and where they had, how long they had survived and where, like maybe they just were also suffering from um, trauma, from, um, not be, you know, no, having nobody else to speak with, not being taken care of. Obviously, if they were turning green because the only thing that they knew was safe to eat were these random beans that they found as they were traveling from one village to the other, um, you know, who's to say how long they had been out in the woods for trying to survive or what happened to them that would also affect their speech. So, you know, who knows? And some folks actually think that it's none of these things, that it's actually a story regarding social commentary on the differences between the Britons and the Anglo-Saxons who uh, were vying for the land and coming in and the differences between the two. Wow, yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like I've seen the joke done a few times, like, Aliens thousands of years from now will find like the Fast and Furious movies and take them as history. But you never even, or at least I never consider that maybe we've done that now already. Yeah, right? Sir yeah. I, I, yeah. It's just, this is such an odd story. I mean, so if apparently in Woolpit, you, they actually like have fully embraced this and they have a sign with the two children on it as part of their like town sign and signature. I also thought it just a, a, 
I think it's a funny detail. The plate it's known for its wolf pits, right? But it's called yeah. wool pit. Wool pit. Like just, just like I guess the change of like Middle English or you know pronunciation over time. Ah, uh, right, right. So I'm sorry. While I did recommend uh, Aaron Mankey's lore for you guys, and I still do because it's great. Uh, I did find the actual podcast that I think I'm trying to remember, and that's the stuff you missed in history class. Classics: The Green Children of Woolpit. If you search for that, it will absolutely pop up. So it's not lore. It's um. Stuff you missed in history class. All right, guys, that is it for this episode of the Untold Hour. Sorry that the episode is so short. I just wanted to hop on really quick and make sure that I gave everybody a proper goodbye before I hit the road again. Um, I will be seeing you all mid-September. We will get Bowser back in the booth to take my place while I've been gone. That being said, I really miss all three of us talking and laughing with each other. Um, as nice as it is to just kind of have one-on-one -on -one time, I, it's also like, there's, you know, it'd be nice to get the band back together, but um, yes. it's for a good reason. He's working on the movie. I'm working on the show. Aristotle's keeping everything in check. Uh, so I just want to say, I appreciate you guys sticking with us. And, uh, and eventually we will figure our shit out. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, this has been the untold hour. Bye. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of the Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to the Untold Hour Pod at gmail.com. Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at the Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. A, podca <clears throat> A podcast network.